presented by Amazon. Hey, good morning, Playbookers. I'm Raghuman Avalon. It's Friday, September 10th, and this is your Politico Playbook Daily Briefing. You might have heard that President Joe Biden outlined a new six-point plan yesterday for tackling coronavirus. In it, there were two big new things that Biden announced. One, on vaccinations, Biden is finally leveraging the unilateral power of the federal government to expand mandates to some 100 million Americans. That would include all workers at companies with over 100 employees, all federal employees and contractors, anyone who works for a healthcare provider that receives Medicare or Medicaid reimbursements, any employee at a school that receives money from Head Start and a few other programs, and two on testing. Biden is using federal authorities to search the production and distribution of rapid COVID tests, including at-home tests. But Biden was also unsparing about the burdens that the unvaccinated have handed the rest of us. Thousands more dead, overflowing hospitals, a rebounding economy that now shows signs of retreat. Pandemic politics, as Biden called it, aren't simple. But now eight months into the Biden administration, any new set of rules offered by the president does raise a question. Why didn't he do this already? Some more COVID speech takeaways courtesy of Politico healthcare editor-at-large Joanne Kennan. Biden called out the vaccine resistant, those who oppose it on principle, not just because they're hesitant about the new shot, for declaring that it's a matter of personal choice or freedom. This is an infectious disease. It doesn't just affect one person. People who don't get vaccinated get sick, Biden said, and they get others sick, even their own families. Two, the president attacked a, quote, distinct minority of elected officials actively working to undermine the fight against COVID-19, who would rather be ordering mobile morgues than encouraging vaccination and masks. He didn't name names, but we can. It wasn't hard to guess who he had in mind. GP governors like Greg Abbott or Ron DeSantis. Three, the president did acknowledge there's been some confusion around booster shots. But it's worth noting, much of that confusion came from the White House itself by getting ahead of the FDA and CDC. He promised Thursday to let the scientists at the FDA and CDC call the shots, pardon the pun, but the confusion clouds the White House message about how well vaccines work and creates some unrealistic and in the short term unfulfillable public expectations. And for a quote from Biden, we're in a tough stretch and it could last for a while. Biden was talking about the pandemic, but between Delta, Afghanistan, the slog his agenda faces in Congress, not to mention the floods and fires taking over parts of the country, he could have just been easily talking about himself. Catherine Tully McManus, who writes Politico's congressional newsletter Huddle, shines a light today on the toll that the double whammy of the pandemic and the January 6th riot has taken on Hill staffers in both parties. She writes, Lawmakers have attempted to reverse the brain drain caused by top aides leaving, raising an existing salary cap on staff, proposing increases to office budgets and examining benefits. But it's not clear whether the promise of future pay bumps can counteract the strain of working long hours in an environment where they've experienced an insurrection, a five-hour standoff over a bomb threat, and a vehicle attack in less than a year. One house aide she quotes says, I have friends doing really valuable work, doing good for the world, and they have pretty regular hours, and they don't think about dying at work. While some Hill staffers characterized the salary cap hike as a positive step, Others warned that without a corresponding increase to lawmakers' overall budgets, highly paid aides could use their authority to give themselves raises while leaving less senior colleagues behind. 
Separate from staff pay, however, is the issue of personal safety that made repeated security threats to Congress. Last month, Hillades once again faced a dangerous incident on campus, texting updates to loved ones amid an hours-long standoff with a man threatening to detonate bombs. Many who work in the complex say they can't shake the anxiety that has become part of life working in Congress. A nearly 20-year Hill veteran who described himself as having fled Congress for the private sector in 2012 had this to say. At some level, the money is a factor, but so too is the tremendous workload and stress and the psychic toll of living in a zero-sum world. Here's what's up in Washington today, starting with the White House. At 9 a.m. Eastern, President Joe Biden will receive the President's Daily Brief. At 9.30, Biden, First Lady Jill Biden, and Education Secretary Miguel Cardona will visit a local D.C. area school. There, the President and First Lady will deliver remarks on the administration's efforts to keep children safe in school. At 7.55, the Bidens will depart the White House to head to Queens, New York, where they're scheduled to arrive at 9.10. Here's what's on the Vice President's calendar. At 10 a.m., Vice President Kamala Harris will travel to Hampton, Virginia. She'll tour the Center for Atmospheric Sciences at Hampton University and hold a roundtable discussion with STEM students. The White House COVID-19 response team and public health officials will brief at 11.30 a.m. Press Secretary Jen Psaki will brief at 1 p.m. The House is out today. The House Agriculture and Ways and Means Committees will have markups on reconciliation. The Senate is out today. One last question before we get out of here. What does it mean to be the nation's second Catholic president? Playbook's Ryan Lizza talks with senior staff writer Ruby Kramer about how Joe Biden balances a very public role with the private matter of his faith at a time of deep division over abortion and among the bishops in his own church. Listen and subscribe to Playbook Deep Dive wherever you get your podcasts. For more news on what's breaking in DC right now, subscribe to the Playbook newsletter. That's at politico.com slash playbook. Our music is composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. Playbook's editor is Mike Zappler. Jenny Ament is Politico's senior producer of audio. The executive producer and head of audio is Irene Noguchi. I'm Rogu Manavall and have a great weekend. We'll see you first thing Monday morning. The federal minimum wage has been stuck at $7.25 an hour since 2009. In the same time, food and beverage costs have increased 18%, transportation costs up 16%, housing costs up 23%, and medical costs up 32%. In 2018, Amazon introduced a starting wage of at least $15 an hour for all U.S. employees. A new, independent study found that Amazon's wage increase produced a 2.6% increase in the average hourly wage among other employers in the same market. Learn more at aboutamazon.com slash 15.